0: Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody. And our program today is, What America Do You Want to Live In? America is at an inflection point. We never thought authoritarian forces could take hold here, right? Would not our democracy live forever? It's nearly 250 years old, for Pete's sakes. It's the longest standing democracy in the world. Yet losing the oldest democracy in the world is possible and, believe it or not, That loss is happening right now. We have big things to do. Today, we will be asking our distinguished guest, former Congressmember Sam Farr, about the state of our American democracy and about so much more. But first, introductions are in order. Congressmember Sam Farr joined the Peace Corps in 1964 and served two years in the South American country of Colombia. This experience impacted his decisions for the rest of his life. His public service career began as a budget staffer for 10 years in the California Assembly. Then he served in the California Assembly until his election to Congress in 1993. Congressman Farr won through a special election when former Congressman Leon Panetta resigned to become President Clinton's budget director. Now, usually at this point, I would welcome my guests to the show, but I must say, but wait, there's more. Congressman Farr has had such a distinguished career that I also wanted to relate, as fast as I can, not wanting to take up too much time at the show, his local accomplishments. So, after taking a sip of water, listen fast. Here goes. Sam led the reuse of the Ford Ord by get, uh, getting all the land dedicated without cost. Got the land and money to create California State University, Monterey Bay. Got the dunes donated to the state of California for a state park. Got the land around Marina Airport donated to UC Santa Cruz for a future research park. Got Congress to pass and Obama to sign the legislation creating the Pinnacles National Park. Put the entire shoreline of rocks and islands along the California coast into the highest protective status. Led local electives in opposing offshore oil drilling in Monterey Bay, which led to the creation of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. Got Obama to designate the Bureau of Land Management land in Fort Ord as National Monument Park. Got loyalty pay for federal workers, which increased Monterey County's income by $41 million that year. Secured increased Medicare payments for local doctors in 11 coastal counties to the level of San Francisco and Los Angeles, equal to the highest in the nation. Put much of the Los Padres National Forest into protective wilderness status. Got money to turn Fort Hunter-Leggett into the greenest net zero military base in the country. But the biggest first was to get the the Department of Defense, and the Department of Veteran Affairs to build a joint health clinic at Fort Ord, which, by the way, my husband uses nearly every month. And that's not everything, is it, Sam? Welcome to Be Bold America.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much, much, Jill. What what an introduction. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, there's more. To come, uh, uh, they're dedicating the new biggest science research building. Uh, they're naming it after me, actually. Uh, and there's an uh, event doing that uh, a week from this coming Friday over in Salinas. At, uh, on, uh, it's a new ag research center. going to attract Researchers from all over the world. It's a really great. Well, spot. it's a
0: terrific honor. Uh, you, I was going to start with that too—that the building's being named in your honor—and um, before we got to the heavy stuff. And uh, did you want to invite people? I think you had a date, time, in place. Sure, it's 10, yeah. uh, it's
1: ten o'clock. It's ten o'clock at the. It's at. Uh, Sixteen, I think thirty-five, Al, right about. We won't miss it. It's a huge building it's on East Aliceau Street on Friday, November third. But if you want to go, you got to RSVP because I think they have. You know, it's one of those federal buildings that <laughs> require everybody to. They have to know that you're coming to be identified. Um, yeah. Um,
0: well, it's, it's just such a tremendous honor. Congratulations.
1: Now. Well, thank you. Yeah, I yeah. look forward to it. It's. Uh, I, always wanted, I think it's sort of the Peace Corps thing of wanting to create jobs for people of low income, you know, and, and opportunities. And this is a re- ag research is not an internal, it's a labor intensive uh, research because you do it outdoors and people got to take care of the crops outdoors. And anyway, it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of it.
0: Well, c- congratulations again and on to the heavy stuff. <laughs> One of the first questions I wanted to ask. Um, what was Congress like when you were there, and what changes have you seen?
1: Well, I think all political bodies were about the same um, when I was in the state legislature and in Congress, which, you know, and then we add the local government, the 40, 40 years in election. People got elected to get things done. Uh, and what, what I saw, uh, and, you know, really experienced firsthand when I first got elected, because that. I was elected in 1993 in a special election, and a year later, 1994, is when uh, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans took over the House for the first time in, um, you know, quarter century. Um, so th- there was a major change, uh, and all the time that the Democrats were in control, the Republicans and the Democrats got along beautifully. Um, in fact, they didn't even have a recorded vote. They started, you know, they they um, t- they they had recorded votes and they went to the machines. But anyway, they they would the Republicans would just tell you what they wanted to object to, and you'd sort of work it out before you even went to a vote because this, you know, a roll call 435 people takes forever. So those days, um, Newt Gingrich got up. I think even. Uh, Some people suggest that perhaps Ronald Reagan's comment about we've met the enemy and they're us and the government, the government is our enemy was one of the beginning uh, right wing. But of course, before that, remember, I don't know if your childhood, but we had the John Birch Society here in California, which grew out of the anti-communism movement and looking for a communist under every rock and very suspicious, you know, kind of conservative right wing. And it was in local governments and state governments, but it kind of faded out because it just didn't, they weren't getting anything done. They couldn't find all the communists. They thought they were there and it just became irrelevant. But it, it was born in California and sort of died in California as well. So, I, I, you know, there's throughout history people know more about this than I do, but I think the 90s were the beginning of this. Uh, Newt Gingrich got very popular by uh, using the uh, C-SPAN television, which has just come into play, because at night you can go down for an hour or reserve an hour to talk on anything you want. And, of course, nobody's paying attention to that, but he would use it, and somebody out there would be watching it, and he started attacking the institution of Congress. Uh, and then, you know, and and of course, uh, Democrats were in the majority and had, had control, so he was attacking the Democrats and, uh, it led to an uprise and he got elected and then used his conservative philosophy. But I think, you know, looking at, looking back at that today, nothing as conservative as the mega, the mega Mm. movement today. I mean, this is all the,
0: You can't call them when conservatives. We, Congress,
1: we thought, maybe we'd be yeah. fun to have Gingrich or even mm-hmm. any of the former speakers back because none of them were as as crazy as it's gotten to be now.
0: Well, it seems that um, <coughs> Newt Gingrich and Ronald Reagan um, have really succeeded because they were, you know, chipping away at our government and dividing us. You know, the nine most terrifying words. I've ever heard is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And I was working in the government then and I was there to help, (laughs) you know, and I immediately saw my career a split between uh, the government working with community groups and then afterwards the government and working with groups that seem more antagonistic. So I think it seems like they've succeeded because there was a recent Pew Research Center poll only sixteen percent of Americans said they trusted the government to do what is right at least most of the time.
1: But Jim, you know why that is happening? Because we don't, tell me. Teach yes, tell me. <laughs> we don't we don't teach people about what government is. That's I mean right. I love That's talking to classes right. and I always I tell the classes the students, I said, you know, everything is politics. Uh, I said this room is politics the switch on the wall is politics because when you touch it you don't get a shock these seats you're sitting in are ergonomic and they're being and they're safe they're uh, the desks that you're sitting in aren't going to aren't inflammable things like that uh, I said you know you in you know, older people you, you know you get up in the morning you turn off your alarm clock without getting a shock you take a shower and you get clean water and it's hot and it's not going it's not too hot to scald you and all these things so these are all regulations that come into codes building codes and we have you know you get a driver's license and um right you can flush uh, a toilet and not where the government the not government, worry where you know, it goes right governments and <laughs> everything
0: yeah and everything and
1: to say you know that it's <clears throat> that you can't trust it it's it's in for all the professional people remember they they are the ones <laughs> it was interesting when i was in state legislature because everything in california you have to have a license for and government would say you know I uh, go to rotary clubs and things say, you know, far get a, get the government off our back. And I say, you know, you're in the banking business. You're, you come to me. I don't come to you. And you want all these banking regulations. You don't want us to adopt them to protect your profession. Um, or the right. medical society or all these regulations that, that the per, the private sector they invent them and they want you know they want licensure and they want testing and they want professionalism and they want uh supervision uh, all done by the government so governments involved in everything and we don't teach it and we don't and, and I think the hardest part is we don't teach people what government is nor how to petition it as I just, you know, a friend of mine has said something. weird. she was talking about let's let's start a, a course, and she said, you know, most people can tell you if you go into a, a bake, you know, go into a store and a cookie's worth two dollars, and you give them a five dollar bill, most people will know that the change you're going to get is is three dollars. But that same person, if they're speeding outside your house. And you, you think you're putting your da- your kids in danger by that speed limit? You have no idea where to go to fix the speed limit, um, which is fixable. So we don't we don't teach people how to use the tools of democracy.
0: Well, do you think that if you were in Congress now, you could get as much done as you did when you were there?
1: From that list, you just—yeah, no, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, today nothing is happening in Congress because of the House. Uh, but uh, but if, when but it's, it was you know, working it, a little bit.
1: What is interesting is this building they're naming after me, and because uh, I got over a hundred million dollars for it, and it took a long time. Uh, and I worked. You know, it was in, and uh, the Republicans were in control when I left uh, Congress, and. Um, What's interesting is after I left, it was a staff member of the Republican Party who was on the Appropriation, Agricultural Appropriations Committee, who said when he was leaving his, and they asked him, "What do you want? For, you know, can we do something in his budget?" He said, "Yeah, name that building out in Salinas after Sam Farr." That came from a Republican. Oh, that, that would never happen no. today. That would never happen today. In fact, one of my colleagues who was on that committee is flying out for the uh, dedication. So, you know, and and he 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 called me out of the blue one day, and he, he said, from Georgia and I haven't seen him in about six seven years and he said do you remember when you came out I came out to see uh, the agriculture in Sleece Valley because we would never heard anything about what we call specialty crops all this everything that we grow out here uh, isn't uh, what they call commodity crops which are what they grow in the Midwest and everything like that and nobody knows much about what specialty crops what they are and how they're grown and how they're harvested and everything and so I had him come out to see it all and uh he said, "You know you did a fundraiser for me. When was the last time a Democrat did a fundraiser for a Republican? <laughs> and we both laughed, and I said, "Well, all the growers were all Republicans, and you were learning about what they do, and they were appreciative of that, and they wanted to help you get reelected so um yeah, there was you know that would never happen today."
0: Uh, for At our loss, well, you know, just speaking of the House in general right now, is the House of Representatives fubar <laughs> effed up beyond all recognition
1: <laughs> well i think there 's you know even on the Republican side,' cause some you know about a third of them are, were there when I was there, and all the the rest about two thirds have changed uh, doesn 't take long to have a major change in the you know number of elections but um you know, not, not the wackos but the the, what they'd call the moderates, but they've been the real moderates that served with me were, of were, uh, Republicans, were drawn were pushed out by their own party. Right, forced out, right. First way they took away committee chairmanships and said, we're going to have a ro- rotating chairs, uh, we're going to have term limits you can only serve three years. Um, that's nice to give new members an opportunity to chair a committee, but they're coming in totally naive about what the responsibility of that committee is.
0: Well, this is a good time to take a break. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD uh, 90.7, 89.5 and 89.7 FM, many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the KSQD website. Our topic today is What America Do You Want to Live in? And we are speaking with former Congress member Sam Farr about how Congress has changed and the future of our American democracy. I'm your host, Jill Cody.
2: Hi, I'm Tom Hartman, your host for Progressive Talk on K-Squid, 90.7 FM, community radio for the Central Coast, 4 p.m. weekdays. KSQD is a vital media resource for listeners in Santa Cruz and Monterey counties and worldwide on the web. Please help support this station by making a contribution to keep the station thriving. Go to ksqd.org and give what you can to help keep shows like mine coming to you daily at 90.7 FM. You know, with six large corporations owning most of the media, it's essential that listeners support grassroots, locally-run radio stations like KSQD. Community Radio is responsive to its listeners and isn't afraid to challenge the status quo. Please join me, Tom Hartman, in supporting Squid. 90.7 90.7 FM, community radio for the Central Coast, by making your pledge today online at ksqd.org. That's 90.7 FM, K-Squid. Catch me right here at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Thank you, and tag, you're it.
0: We're back. This live Be Bold America show is edited into a podcast that's available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and many other platforms, including YouTube and on the KSQD website. Please follow our podcast and share it with a friend. That's how we grow. Even though social media sites abound, word of mouth is still the best advertiser. Now, Sam, um, Tom Hartman just mentioned in that promo um, about six media companies owning everything. And the Republican Party has built a media machine while yelling the liberal media the whole time. There are three right-wing cable networks. or 1,500 right-wing radio stations and 700 religious stations that all follow the same talking points. It's really a miracle that any Democrat has ever elected. There's really nothing like it on the left. What are your thoughts on the status of our media in this country today?
1: Well, thank God we have this station. Uh, I was <laughs> thank just thinking, you, yes. you know, I, I got a great idea for marketing. You're, you're the only station. I mean, we've never had um, any. We got the KSBW, which is stands for the Salad Bowl of the World. Um, but we don't have anything to do with the ocean and the Marine Sanctuary. So why don't we become the, you become the official station of the Monterey Bay Marine Sanctuary? Is cuz you're K Squid, right? Well,
0: um our program director just gave me a thumbs up on that one, so future <laughs> talks are required.
1: <laughs> so we just, we've got to just keep it alive for the name. It's just such a cool name. Anyway, <laughs> thank um, you. Yeah, the, the the problem with as you know in the in this business is that um, um those, a lot of those are for-profit radio stations. They're not non um NPRs and um, which is supported by government. In, in part, and by uh, local contributions, but they survive because um, the private sector will advertise on them because they're you know they go to that that kind of squad. I mean, the big business now is that I understand uh, from KSCO and Santa Cruz was all the advertising they can do for uh, health for um, you know vitamin pills. What do you call those right. things?
0: Supplements.
1: Supplements. Yeah huge industry of supplements out there that are going to all of these talk shows, these conservative talk shows and their stations are making a fortune off their advertising. So they, they were able to survive where where the other ones that have to deal with public handouts, uh, aren't doing very well. So I, I, yeah, it's a real problem with the media and I, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think if we educate people better, um, They won't want to listen to that. I mean, the problem I have when I go to these right-wing things, I mean, I like to listen just to see what they're hearing, but I I can't stand to listen to them for very long because within a couple of minutes they're lying. They're just telling stuff that just is not factually correct.
0: Lies make money. (laughs) You know, the outrage makes the money.
1: Well, I think that the people who are saying it don't even know that they're in this sort of belief system that, that spouts this stuff that is not related to fact, because they're not they're not educated on the subject matter.
2: Well, in fact, just... the,
1: in fact, the main media isn't very educated on the subject matter either. They'll go out and do an interview, and if a politician can't, I mean, we always learned that if you can't answer. Uh, the tough question, you know, you can't answer the tough question that the media shows at you, then um, you shouldn't be in there. The problem is the media doesn't know how to do the follow-up question when they answer it and say, okay, now you've said this, but look at what your record is this or your record is that, or that's not true. Um, they don't do that. So the listener, you know, gets just what they are see or hear.
0: Well, that leads right into a question I had, which was can democracy survive Fox so-called news? And the right-wing media machine. I mean, right after Biden's speech on Israel, Fox called news was saying he was a decrepit old man, insane. They've also called him a wannabe dictator. That's what they're hearing on the side that, you know, in that bubble that you were just referring to. So, Kent, do you think democracy can survive this kind of propaganda station?
1: No, and democracy can't survive if we don't teach democracy, if we don't mm-hmm. teach how... You know, you know, people love to watch sports, Yes. Take anybody who likes sports. The reason they like to watch it is because they understand the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, if you watch cricket, uh, you may not understand it. You may not like it because you don't understand the rules of the game. But, you know, our games our sports, football, baseball, so on, basketball. We all understand the rules, and so we enjoy watching it. But we don't know the rules of government, the rules of politics, rules of election, the rules of really what I mean, simple rules of just what you petition. I, I taught a class at CSUMB, to, I'm, I'm a biology major, undergraduate biology major, and I wanted to one time be a biology teacher, so I thought I'd take the science classes and teach them about public policy. The problem is when I entered the class, they weren't interested in that. They didn't know why they needed to know the difference between a city council and a congress. And these are people who want to go into the science world or the medical world. Mm -hmm. And I said, my God, there isn't a profession that's more reliant on public funding, on politics, than science. And you need to know where this money comes from and why, it, you know... You're going to be combattling people who need money, you know, for um, starving children and problems. Why should they give it to you for your research? And if you don't know how to petition government, how to write grants, and how to explain why this is important, you're not going to get your money. So you better learn. Not only about local, about the levels of government, local, state, and federal, but how do you access them? And that's one of the things I noticed that why so many people rely on lobbyists. Lobbyists just know the rules of the game. So if you wanted to get a bill done, they know what committee it's going to go to and they know who the chair of the committee is and they may go talk to them or the person who's on that committee and ask them to carry the bill. Um, You don't need lobbyists to do that. Anybody can go up and talk to the legislature about creating a law. Well, you
0: Um, talked about money and politics, and and my concern is that money and politics could be the death knell of democracy because there have been Supreme Court decisions since 1976 that led to, I think, um, uh, corporations and the uber-rich being vaulted over all of us. There was the 1976 Buckley versus Vallejo decision, which gave money free speech rights. I don't hear my one dollar bills talking to me from my purse, but free speech rights. Then 1978, Boston versus Bilotti gave corporations free speech rights. Then 2010, Citizens United removed dollar limits on corporations. And then in 2014, McCutcheon versus the FEC removed limits on individual money. And so that just vaulted those uh uh, entities over all of us. So you know, money and politics. Talk talk to us about that too.
1: Well, I think that there's you're, you've got a there's two. Two parts about that. First of all, there's it takes money to get elections. It takes money to do anything. You know, you you you're either going to finance elections through the public sector, which doesn't. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm I'm not. I think people over overrate or over criticize just money to politicians because all that money. First of all, you can't give corporations can't give money to uh, federal employees and. Uh, I don't know what what the status is of the state now, but everything is given, and there's limits that you can give, and all of that has to be reported.
0: What about the dark packs, though? Those well, political the dark action committees. Too, but
1: they don't give, those aren't going to legislators per se. They're going into um, sort of sidebar campaigns that are supposed to be arm's length from the from the candidate. But do you think that uh, really
0: happens? That, yes, the, that, that happens. Lengths? That is.
1: That's, that's okay. bad. And the Supreme Court made a very, very bad decision mm. in that, very poor decision, because the money into that doesn't have to be disclosed. That's, exactly. And every year there's bills in Congress to say that you need to disclose that, and they, they don't pass. Um, so I I think, I don't think you're going to get money out of politics, but you can make all the money into politics much more transparent. You can put limits on it. And a lot of um, um, local campaigns and in some states, they put the limit on, on any contribution uh, that you can make. Uh, I carried a bill when I was first in Congress to... Um, Put campaign spending limits on it, and you, and uh, you would get. I forget so, bad, far along, back, I can't remember all the details. But it was a really great uh, bill. And the, the pushback I had is from people from poor districts who say, you know, um, our opponents can come in with their own money and spend as much as they want, uh, and we don't we don't have anybody contributing if you're in a poor uh, minority district. We need to go outside our districts because it was oh you had to you had to raise the money inside your district that was a part of it anyway it never it, it never even had a hearing, but it had a Darn. lot of support, <laughs> a lot of support from the outside uh, so I think that the, the, yeah this we, we really have to uh, get a hands around this dark money, which you don 't you don 't know where it 's coming from. Mm-hmm. What you do is if it 's happening. You expose it, and, and the media could do a lot better job of that It's just trying to trace down the money and follow the money. Right. We don't have a name for it, but somebody's contributing, well, let's go and do some uh, research and find out who that is, and expose it, and bring it to the light. If they give it directly to a candidate, it's right there in, in the in the disclosure, financial disclosure. The other thing that people don't realize is that if somebody comes, and I was in politics for 44 years in elective office, only once did somebody come into my office. Office and say if you help me, I'll contribute to your campaign. Oh, that's that interesting. Is, yeah. He, well, he was. I just said, don't forget those words ever came out. of him. He was very naive. He just never been there. He just thought this was a nice way to say, you know, I. Can, and I said, don't say that. I said, you've just <laughs> committed a felony oh, by boy. making. I said, and if I accept that offer, I've committed a felony. And he said, well, I didn't mean to do that, and you know, and so, but nobody in their right mind, at least. <laughs> Should ever go out and say there's a quid pro quo. I'll I'll give you something if you give me something. If you give me a vote, or give me this, or give me that. That is, you know, everybody politician knows that if that gets if it happens and gets exposed, uh, you're gonna you're gonna go to jail. So it's much more subtle than that, and. I think what we need to do is attack this, the the edges, you know, that are that are not being disclosed and not being uh, accounted for. And that that's that's a reporting process, and you could make a law to do that.
0: Well, this is a good time to take a break. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7, 89.5, 89.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. Our topic today is, what America do you want to live in? And we're speaking with former Congress member Sam Farr. We will be right back after Jim Hightower's commentary titled, The Secretive Presidential Primary That Excludes You.
3: Are you excited by, or do you dread, the upcoming presidential election season? Either way, buckle up, for it's only 12 weeks till the Iowa caucuses, and then, zoom, there's nonstop voting across America for the rest of 2024. Democracy at work. Well, unless you don't notice the plutocratic primary, where, shh, presidential voting is already taking place. However, this balloting is only open to a teensy number of very exclusive voters, billionaires, These privileged ones don't have to go to public campaign events. Candidates come to them for closed-door a tetes making undisclosed promises in exchange for millions of dollars in campaign funds. This secretive primary lets moneyed elites initiate or eliminate candidates' policies. Moreover, by granting or withholding large donations, billionaires can determine which candidates are considered viable letting the super-rich have a heavy hand in choosing the choices that we commoners will have next year. The New York Times reports that this flexing of the money muscle was recently exercised at a closed meeting of GOP sugar daddies in Utah. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and other presidential wannabes were on display, pleading with the donors to choose them as the party's alternative to Donald Trump and to shoo the other Republican contenders out of the race. Haley bluntly appealed to the rich clique's plutocratic ego, Quote, I think it's up to the donors to decide which candidates should get off the stage. Christie went a step further toward plutocratic rule, asking the elite attendees to decide who would be, quote, the best president. This is Jim Hightower saying no one in the room bothered asking the obvious question, best for whom? Everyone knew he meant best for the rich. No need for messy elections. Let the billionaires choose. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you subscribers to Jim Hightower's Lowdown on Substack. Find us at jimhightower.substack.com.
0: If you are just joining us, our topic today is what America do you want to live in? And our guest is former Peace Corps member, Monterey County Board of Supervisors, California Assembly member, and Congress member Sam Farr. And we're discussing the future of our American democracy and the numerous challenges our country is facing. So, Sam, one reason that I read... Uh, that long line of KSQD 90.7, 89.5, and 89.7 is because KSQD expanded all through Monterey County. So um, this is one reason we love to have people who represent the area on the program. Now, uh, what are your thoughts talking about uh, the future of our democracy? What are your thoughts about the future of our democracy? Any observations on the Democratic Party? the Republican Party, your thoughts?
1: Well, uh, let me just follow up on what Hightower just said. Yes, I, those, go uh, ahead. That, 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 they, No, that was good. He was exposing it. What he didn't say, and this is, this is it, I mean, you know it. There is one penicillin. There is one thing that money can't control, and that is your vote. You, the person on the street. And I... That is, if, if we want to get rid of the, or we want to stop this sort of infection of, of, of ignorance of of democracy and you know bashing of government and trying to stop things, good things, and because it's public spending and stuff like that, we just have to vote because when we vote and we vote, you know, for the more progressive side of the of the of the, of the, of the aisle. Um, the, the 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 conservative side, the mega side, will be in a the minority. They they'll lose, and when they're in the minority, they don't have nobody pays attention to them. Maybe all these right wing radio stations will pay attention to them, but they'll be a minority of minority because they don't control the microphone, they don't control the budget, they don't set the rules for how uh, legislatures are uh, governed, like the House of Representatives or state legislature. Uh, they have no power. And um, the only way we can take that, what I call the evil power away, is just to have this massive voter turnout. And I have been arguing for years that if we don't have to argue that, you know, Democrats turn out versus Republicans turn out, just people turn out. Why? Because when you have massive turnouts, you have the 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 Democrats are elected, or the uh, people you know in local office we don 't have labels, but you get the more progressive candidates get elected um, so we have to take back our democracy by having an incredibly massive turnout and we have to stop saying that I can't vote- i'm not voting for him because they're not perfect. you know they're too old, they're not liberal enough for this or that or whatever it is uh The candidates who get nominated are the candidates and uh there's some good candidates and bad candidates and If we get all the good people to vote for the good candidates, we win, and the others disappear just like the John Birch Society did.
0: Well, it seems that when you don't vote, you're playing right into the hands that, of the authoritarians, right into the hands of the uber rich because you've freely given away your vote to them.
1: Yep. Yep. Voting for a third party or voting for um, or not voting is a, is a um, is a harmful harmful act.
0: Well, what are your observations of today's Democratic Party?
1: I think it's in good shape. I mean, you look at um, look at the local look at the local electeds here who are you know we don't run on partisan labels, but the majority of our elected officials in Monterey County and in Santa Cruz County, the vast majority, about two thirds, including the judges, are all Democrats. Uh, they don't talk about it, but if you go down and get their registration from the registrar of voters, uh, you'll see uh, that we've elected them. Our state legislatures is. Uh, in both houses, I think now a two-thirds majority of Democrats, um, and our California delegation when I got there was evenly split. There's 54 members and 53 members, and there were um, evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. Now I think there's only 12 Republicans uh, in in from Congress and from California. And when people complain about you know the evils of Trump, all of which I agree, I'll say, well, be. Thankful that you live in California because yes. his policies haven't really hurt our state. We're a, a nation state. We're big. We're progressive. We're wealthy as a as a as a state, um, and we're answering uh, societal needs uh, in in every corner. I th- that's uh, I think the Democratic Party is in good shape. I think we've got great people who could be future presidents and governors. And we certainly have a good one here in California. Yes. Maybe an ex president. So yes. I think the, the thing is the party stands together too if it's what's remarkable. I mean when I was there many years Nancy Pelosi was running for speaker, uh you'd have Democrats that wouldn't vote for
0: her. Oh my. Uh
1: I mean she do her count and she'd actually say if you're a good leader you'll find people that you know they can't get reelected if they vote for you, so you go and say, you know, um you you take a walk. I mean, you don't have to vote for me. You vote for somebody else. I understand. I won't be upset. But then you go to somebody who's in a safe district and says you you can't do that. You can't just sort of put your colleague out to, to, to who who has to hang themselves to vote for me. So she did. A great job of uh, getting all her votes together and when she went to the floor uh, the Democrats knew that we were going to get elected. What's interesting now is they're more united now than they were when I was there. Because if you look at these votes for Hakeem Jeffries, he's he's, always a solid you know I just, people say, oh, both parties have all these extremists that don't get, I said, no, that, that is, we, the Democratic Party doesn't have anybody's extreme as the right, right wing. Uh, and that's why the, the Republican Party's all torn apart, because they've got these extremists that are just not willing to be a part of the, of the, of the
0: solution. That's another reason sometimes people say when they don't vote is that both parties are the same, and they're not the same. That's a false equivalency. And I agree with you that I think even the federal at the federal level, we are in very good shape with the Democratic Party. What are your thoughts about today's Republican Party? Uh, and Donald Trump, uh, he's a very malevolent force, and he's going to be there, I, I, at least it's marching towards being there nominee for president what are your thoughts there
1: i think donald trump is a terrorist
0: yes
1: (laughs) i'm not i'm not you know i'll tell my republican friends and you know what i have a lot of republican friends that serve with me and they couldn't they can't stand it they know he's destroying the party they don't like his style uh, the problem is, and I think we always blame it on, you know, it's Trump or it's whatever, it's Washington. It is their country. These people are getting elected by, uh, you know, at the local level. Uh, towns and communities are electing these legislators who believe this way. And, and, and so our country's really, um, the problem. And, and, and that's why I think, I think the solution is education. You know, we get back to giving people the understanding how government works, how they can petition government to right wrongs. Uh, they may think that, you know, government's doing too much, but you can petition government to do less. I mean, you don't have to be just this. Um, we've got to burn it down to bomb it to save it you know that's you know, the attitude they have right now and i don't think what 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 infuriates me is that our professions like the i was talking to a bunch of lawyers the other day i said where are you, where's the bar association standing up and defending uh the judiciary i said good question I said, this isn't a Democratic or Republican discussion. You just get up and defend what you're all about, what your profession's about. When people are attacking uh, the judiciary, attacking uh, uh, prosecutors and defenders, or t- they're attacking the whole. No matter who you are, they're attacking you, and and no and no no pushback. No, but no, but the profession doesn't come around and say. And same thing with doctors and stuff, because so much of the healthcare is political. So. I think that our country, if we're really going to be a participatory democracy, we've got to get all our well-educated professionals to start demanding that the democracy function.
0: I think bringing civics classes back to high school, I, I'm not aware if the Department of Education is even discussing that in their curriculum, but to bring civics back, I remember taking that class and and at least having a rudimentary understanding about how mm-hmm. it all worked.
1: You know, what it, when you understand it, then when people are saying false things, you know to reject it or not to believe it. But if you have no understanding how it works, uh, these... Conspiracy yeah.
0: theories can
1: abound. Sure. <laughs> yeah, they do, exactly. I mean, that's and 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 the sort of what what people have in this uh, pent up anger i remember um i think uh, bill i heard bill clinton one time talk about this when it was when trump was beginning to rise and we'd had um brexit and and um uh, great britain and we'd had some other sort of or uh, from Colombia, where I was a peace corps volunteer, they rejected the peace accords, which everybody thought was going to be overwhelmingly approved. So these sort of moments of outrage, of political outrage, and what he called uh, political road rage—they're mm-hmm. not based on anything that you can just go out there and fix. It's based on some pent-up anger uh, that doesn't know how to express itself other than kicking the can, kicking the tire, you know, saying, "Oh," I'm, and that, I think Trump has that appeal. That he's just gonna kick, kick the government, and uh, not fix it. Just kick it, and they're saying, "Yeah, that's what we need. We need to, we need to get angry. We got to get bitter, and we got to kick things and put people down and stop spending money."
0: Rage and outrage are—they're um, very addictive. <laughs> I think it uh, um, feeds the uh, uh, lizard brain, <laughs> the amygdala, uh, all the time, and keeps people. I guess in enraged and engaged. So Fox News can exploit that, the right wing radio shows can exploit that and I've I don't and then now we've seen such increase in political violence and in hate crimes. What are what are your thoughts about that taking over our culture now?
1: Well, I, I think that we've been talking about all that. I think this this is um a lack of of education of just a lack of basic understanding of how things work and therefore you know how you go about peacefully uh, resolving Issues. I mean, it's this is you know it's uh, right now with Israel. This is this two-state solution, which is you know it's going to be very difficult to achieve. But it's the only way to to make both sides uh, live in peace is to have uh, two governments. Um, And you know, I know there's all the difficulties of it, but that's got to be a goal.
0: It's a lack of understanding too about how we are personally manipulated. I think. Uh, There are, you know, a whole advertising industry is built on manipulating people to buy something and they've got it down to brain science. Yeah. And so it's the same with, uh, I think, the right wing propaganda and news. And we individually have to realize that people are manipulating our fear or manipulating our outrage for their agenda.
1: Yeah. I mean I think that my Sherry and I we talked about watching television. I said, My God, you know, in a couple of hours, uh, with a thirty second ad, uh you will learn that there's there's a half of a dozen diseases that you have that <laughs> yes. you never knew of. They didn't you didn't know they existed and yes. all of a sudden you know you have it because you can see on the television explaining exactly <laughs> what you have. And guess what? They have a cure for it. All you have to do is buy it. Exactly. Uh,
0: Open your wallet,
1: and obviously, it works. They wouldn't be spending all that incredible money uh, advertising this stuff. Exactly. Um, but I- fortunately, people have enough sense to know that not necessarily that that kind of is good for me. You know.
0: I am speaking with our bold interview guest, former Congress member Sam Farr, and you are listening to Be Bold America on. KSQD 90.7, 89.5, and 89.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. I'm your host, Jill Cody.
2: And I'm Howard Feldstein, the Program Director here at KSQD. The program continues another 15 minutes, and then at 6, we bring you the monthly show, Cats on Dogs, insights for both ends of the leash. Your host is Lori Katz. She's a certified professional dog trainer, and this month she has a, another dog expert calling in from Florida to offer advice you and your canine companions can use. Cats on Dogs, coming up at 6, an hour-long program all the way till 7 here on K-Squid. And then we follow that with What to Be. Patrick Hart has an interview with uh, librarian Diane Cohen. And then at uh, 7.30, we have The Cutting Edge. So informative program all night long here on K-Squid. And now back to Jill Cody.
0: Sam, in these last few minutes, I'd like to ask what ideas uh, you might have for us to keep doing, stop doing, and start doing regarding what we've been discussing, but I still have one more uh, uh, question I wanted to ask you, um, and we have a a few minutes to do so, that is regarding the authoritarian movement that is happening in this country. You know, it just seems that to me, the, the Republicans have just become an authoritarian party. There's one party that is supporting democracy in this country, and that's the Democratic Party. And then the Republicans just seem to have succumbed to the authoritarian uh, movement. What are your thoughts about this happening in our country right now?
1: Well, Joe, you know one thing I I think we we do too often is we we put everybody in the Republican Party under that. that umbrella evil Empire, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, you know we have an awful lot of good friends that are Republicans. Yes. They're not talking. I'm they're probably
0: they're, uh, talking about the elected ones yeah. in Congress. Yes, I agree.
1: If we're going to sustain a democracy in an, in a modern era of of all this uh, info, media, and, and stuff that we, you know, that's and try to understand what's real and what's fake. Um, we're going to have to be better educated how to be thinkers. And I, I mean, that is the purpose of public education. All the committees that i education committees that I always sat on and voted for this, the goal of, of education is to develop an independent thinker who can participate in our democracy. And I think what's happened is we, are not, we have failed in our educational system to develop that independence, that ability to, you know, question This authoritarian or that fact or this or that, and just to be able to find your own the real answer. Um, One
0: thing I was trained in organization development was the simple tool of the five whys. If you're wondering about something, you say why is that, and then you get that answer. And then you ask, well, why is that, and then you get that answer. And then you get down. Actually, maybe even before five whys, you get to the root of the issue that we need to to be aware of and to become individual thinkers and as a thought experiment I wanted to ask you you know how would our lives change if an authoritarian leader uses domestic processes to kill our republic such as um, Donald Trump tried to do and may try again what would our country start looking like if we had an authoritarian leader that thought experiment to give people that vision of what we could lose.
1: Well, modern history has shown us that. So, Adolf Hitler got elected in the political process. Um, wasn't a dictator. He got got elected, and each time he got elected, he got elected, you know, to this role and that role, and became elected leader, and then led with his authoritarian rule and and his playing on fears uh, to doing so many evil things and thinking that he could just use his force. To conquer the world, and and so you know, so I I it scares me because nobody ever thinks that you know that'll never happen again. Well, it's look around you; it's subtly happening, not yes. in California, but in maybe in parts of California, but not not as a state. And I think we're we're kind of immune from the day to day. I mean, what I think is bothers me is the media, the mass media, the national media. California, um, the West Coast of California, Oregon, and Washington have for decades had all-mail ballots. In fact, Washington and Oregon led before California did. Uh, and California, now with, with after COVID, it not only sends you a ballot in the mail, but sends you, gives you the postage to return it. And so, all this—it's the easy the easy states have the highest turnout uh, percentage-wise of, of people they don't have fraud um, in fact uh, going through the process it's your your mailed in ballot gets more review than if you walk into a precinct they don't check your uh, signature when you walk into a precinct as a signature that you had on your filing you know for registering to vote when you mail in a ballot it is so you're compared you know is this the same person that registered to vote that's sending in this ballot It's a much more of a secure system, and yet the media keeps talking about, you know, when other states are trying to adopt these things that uh, they go into all the fear of 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 cheating and all that other stuff. So, I, you know, we I I think that what's happening in the West is is sort of a model for what the country ought to be moving towards.
3: Absolutely,
1: but I think that you know. Mm -hmm. The one thing I really—if you want to know what I think the station could do—and I love your love your name—we got to get all the squitters out there to vote. Yes. Yes. And one of the things we ought to do—I was trying to organize this last year during the Olympics and during COVID, when every and the weather and world, you know, um, global warming. I said last year, I said, you know what? This everybody's looking at numbers. Why don't we have a national campaign on voting on numbers? Why don't we get the Starbucks in Monterey to challenge the Starbucks in Salinas that their employees in Monterey will have a higher turnout than that? And say, why don't we get the University of California their, in their big game in their challenge with Stanford? Say we'll get more of our students to vote than you. And really, just turn it into the whole game numbers game. Everybody challenges everybody else to have a higher turnout. Not partisan, just turnout. And I think that this election is one we ought to be. The emphasis ought to be everywhere: because you got to vote. You just got to vote because if we get enough people voting, uh, democracy will survive.
0: Well, we do have to overcome uh, as a country, not California, uh, but we do have to overcome the gerrymandering and a lot of of uh, districts in red states, and we have to overcome some voter suppression techniques and and actual theft off the voter rolls. Um, That's, I think, another thing that uh, Congressmember Tuberville, you know, he's holding all the military appointments back uh, uh, right now and is causing all sorts of Uh disruption. But he also said the country doesn't need elections. I mean, there are people in our Congress right now we're talking about voting and everybody getting voting, and they don't even think it's necessary.
1: Well, remember, he got elected, too, and yes. by district. <laughs> so run somebody against him who is smart and, and, and articulate. I, I, I think these extremists can be beaten, and not in every district because of re, uh, the reapportionment you were talking about, gerrymandering. But all of that still is done by politics. Remember, politics is, is how we set the rules. For a civilization and the people that set those roles are elected so let's even you know let's go out and get the right people elected and get this country back on its feet it's a great country you know provided me the opportunity to serve in the Peace Corps which was life-changing for me and as you all those things that you listed that I did all came about from wanting to give people access to education and access to health care and access to a safe place to, to live if you have those three things you have a chance and i think that california and particularly the central coast we ought to show people that we can eliminate the root causes of poverty we will not have poverty be generational uh, after generation we'll stop it we've got great schools and universities and lots of jobs available and we're creating new jobs all the time and so let's let's put our emphasis on uh, being the first area in the country to be able to eliminate the culture of poverty.
0: That would be absolutely wonderful, and I know you've gone a long way on that. Um, so you know one part of a democracy too is um uh, is the rule of law and i think I think what Trump has created because no laws apply to him. Is that many uh, in the country don't feel the rule of law is even important anymore? You have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, uh, just, uh, the people that are following Trump are ignorant people.
0: Mm-hmm. Back to education.
1: You know, and if they wouldn't follow him, and if the media wouldn't give him so much attention, because <laughs> these people don't know what they don't want to figure out anything for themselves, so they just turn on the media that they like hearing, and then that's their education. And it's uh, stupid being stupid. Um, you know, I, I, I really believe that, uh, that, that, that 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 as I said, this is an election year at all levels of government. Not only the federal government and Congress and the Senate and, and the White House um, next year. Um, but it's also at the state legislature, it's at the school board level, city council, board of Supervisors, water districts, everybody. It's everything that our lives are involved with. And if we get good people running for office who want to be in office and want to serve and want to do their homework and want to make good decisions, um, we certainly know how to do that. Well we I did to, we just have to get them there, and the only way they can get them there is to get enough votes to win.
0: I did learn something many many years ago from a volunteer organization that I I was with and uh, the chair of the of the commission said when we were looking for new leaders in the group he said Jill there's a difference between service and self-service and who we need are people that want to serve uh-huh. that are there for service not people that have an agenda an agenda that they're trying to implement um, and it's so true and it it was helping me through the rest of my life <laughs> to well, know the difference.
1: So, you know, it's a dream, Jill. Uh we had a retreat when I was in Congress, a civility retreat. I have about was...
0: 20 seconds.
1: All right, well, anyway, <laughs> we found out that the Republicans were ran for office because they wanted the title. The Democrats ran for uh, office because they wanted to serve.
0: Perfect example of service versus self-service. Yeah. Congress member Sam Farr, thank you for being our bold and impressive guest today. Uh, You've discussed with us many challenging problems facing our country, and we can't fix them unless we're aware of them. As uh, President (laughs) Biden likes to say, we are the United States of America, for Pete's sakes, and we can do anything when we come together. So thank you for an hour of your valuable time to be on Be Bold America.
1: Well, thank you for your program. It's very helpful.
0: Uh, It was an honor to speak with you. What's up next on Be Bold America? Please join us on Sunday, November 5th for Trump's Mind, America's Soul, A Profile of a Nation. We will meet the brave forensic psychiatrist who diagnosed Donald Trump. In this interview, Dr. Bandy X. Lee will go beyond explaining Donald Trump, but the followers who elevated him and the nation that tolerated him as president. Why does Donald Trump speak and act as he does? Why must he provoke violence? Why do many in the country still support and follow him? How can he possibly be the Republican Party's choice for president again? Dr. Lee will tell us the missing piece that answers these questions. With 20 years of experience treating violent offenders and on, on violent prevention violence prevention, Dr. Lee was the first to call out Donald Trump's psychological dangers in a major way and lost her faculty position at Yale University over exercising her responsibility. As a psychiatrist, her responsibility, her duty to warn. Don't miss Trump's Mind, America's Soul, A Profile of a Nation, with forensic psychiatrist Bandy X. Lee on Be Bold America, Sunday, November 5th at 5 p.m. As a reminder, Be Bold America is available as a podcast for free on Apple, Google, and Spotify, as well as YouTube and the KSQD website. I want to give a special thank you to Be Bold America's program program engineer today, and who is also our station's program director, Howard Feldstein. You are listening to KSQD Santa Cruz and KSQD Prunedale, Many Voices, One Station. Listen worldwide online with ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Cats on Dogs featuring Lori Katz. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep stop, start.